Welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, and had their life changed by the genre in a major way. Today on the show, one of the coolest people in the world, one of the coolest people in rock and roll, Mary Timoney of the band X Hex, X of the band Helium, X of the band Wild Flag, and 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 uh, and autoclave too, and and more, but more on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to uh, the email address turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. You can send an email. You can also find us on a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, and that is facebook.com slash turned out a punk. There's also a turned out a punk Instagram page. There's a Tumblr. There, there's more of that kind of stuff out there. And if you would like to get in touch with us, that's the best way of doing that. But the best way to support us is by uh, telling all your friends about this podcast, letting everyone know that you listen to this podcast, spreading the word. If you use a listening service that has a rating system, rate it, review it. But, you know, most of all, just tell people you know that you like this podcast. There's good stuff going on here. We got cool guests, and, and that's what we do. That's what we do. Speaking of support, though, this show would not be possible without the kind support of the fine folks at Vans. Vans came on board a while ago and said, just keep doing what you do. Book whoever you want to book. And we just want to see you do it without losing money on it. And so I'm doing that. I'm also going to be going out to some cool House of Vans events coming up this summer. If you've never been to a House of Vans event, it's it's amazing. There's no other way to put it, you know. Chromags, uh, sick of it all, Pennywise. Uh, I've seen so much cool stuff at the House of Vans. There's Danny Brown. There's so much stuff I've seen there. And there's going to be more stuff this summer. And I'm going to be going to some of those. So keep checking out. Vans.com to find out more about the House of Vans and get ready because it's going to be a fun summer. All right. Well, I got to be honest with you. I said it was going to launch this week. It does not look like it's going to happen this week. <laughs> I want to make sure I do it right. You know, so I'm not going to launch this Patreon until it's all ready to go. And I think it will be, knock on wood, ready next week. We're going to have all the tiers. I'm going to lay it all out for you. You may have been noticing footnotes continue to disappear, which is great because it means old episodes are coming back in the iTunes feed now because iTunes has this weird cap thing. So anyway, regardless, there will be a Turned Out of Punk Patreon launching next week. Next week is going to launch. I'm all set. <laughs> Watch me not do it next week now that I've said this. No, I'm going to launch it. Check back next week to find out all the details about this Turned Out of Punk Patreon extravaganza. And the, and the show's going to, you know, it's going to be kicking into a higher gear. You know, that's what this is all for. It's, for, it's all for the in-service of this thing that we're doing here. The, this exploration of people's nerdy punk rock past, which you know, I, I'm not getting bored of it. I'm really, really not getting bored of it. Because stuff like this week happens. This week on the show, Mary Timoney. Now, Mary was the is now in the band X Hex. They've got a brand new record, which is fantastic on Merge Records. Strongly recommend you go out and pick it up or, or listen to it on a streaming service, which is probably more the mode of 2019. But however you have to listen to it, do it because it is phenomenal. But that's not Mary's first band. You might have heard of her from Wild Flag. You may have heard of her from Autoclave, her first band. Or you may have heard of her from the band Helium. Helium was one of the first bands that I got to see live. They opened for Sonic Youth. I guess I thought Dinner, to, Dinner is Ruined first. 
but then it was Helium, and Helium blew me away. I thought they were fantastic. I've always been a fan. And then years ago when I was working at the old Much Music, my partner in crime, my good buddy, Cam Lindsay, one one of the people that I can honestly say has the best ear for music out there. He just knows how to pick these bands. Honestly, there's been so much stuff that he's been on to first. Anyway, Cam does a lot of stuff in music, including Right for Exclaim. So he was interviewing Mary for Exclaim, and he asked me if I knew that she was like a deep head DC hardcore kid. And I didn't know at the time. And so he's like, you have to interview her one day. And sure enough, here we are all these years later. My homie Mark O'Donnell emails me and says, do you want to interview Mary Timoney? I sent it to my brother. Tristan worked some uh, scheduling magic with Mark, and then we got to happen. And here it is. Mary is on the show. This is a unbelievable thrill to get to do this because, you know, once in a while you get a guest like Mary who's played in a bunch of bands that you love, but also has like a deep, deep knowledge of older punk and hardcore. And that's just the kind of guest we we dream about here on Turned Out of Punk. We dream about it. Someone that that influenced us, but yet also saw Rites of Spring as their first show. That's a spoiler. That's coming up in a second. I don't think there's any notes for me to give you this week. Uh, there probably are, but I can't think of them right now. So I want you all to get ready for a very, very fun conversation with a very, very cool person. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Mary Timoney on Turned Out a Punk. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, yeah. as I, I was just telling you off air, this is a huge, huge thrill for me because uh, I've known that I've wanted to interview you for a long time. Thanks to Cam Lindsay, a friend of mine who had interviewed you a few years ago. But even more important to myself is you're one of the first performers I ever got to see live at a show that I chose to go to, not my parents taking Whoa, me to or anything. That's so crazy to me. Well, and it meant the world to me then, and I've been a big fan for a very long time. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, my God. Well, it's an honor. Thank you so much. Well, I, I don't want to talk about myself all night, so I will cut back to yourself. And i got to start this off the way I start them all off, which is – Mary, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, I was thinking about this because I, I knew we were going to be having this conversation. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So here is my story a little bit. Um, well, I grew up in Washington, D.C., where I live now. But um, <clears throat> I, I the way I came into learning about punk is like, I guess a little bit – I don't know. It's a little different. I, I basically grew up in Glover Park. Um, it's a neighborhood in D.C. And my f- down the street um, was this family called the Mackays. And my parents became friends with them. Mm-hmm. And we were just like um, little kids together. And then my family moved to a different neighborhood. And my are their parents like kind of stayed in touch. And I heard that Ian Mackay had this band called minor thread from my parents. And then like, (laughs) (laughs) and then I remember like, they didn't, we didn't like, we were like close friends or anything, but I do remember my dad coming home like one day and like, 
I don't know, the early 80s. I was probably like a 12-year-old kid or something and going, well, do you remember Bill and Ginger Mackay? Their son has this band and it's written about in the Washington Post. So it's minor threat. <laughs> so, so then I was like, oh, like Ian Mackay has, he's like this guy who has a band and it's like a punk band. And so that was what, you know, that was my first introduction to what, somebody having a punk band was. And then I heard Alec Mackay also had a band and then he had crazy leopard print hair. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like, wow, those kids are cool. <laughs> so because that was one thing that was happening in my life. And then a few years later, I um, decided that I really liked, like with my own discovery of music, I was like, you know, there's like some TV program called Friday Night Videos, and like I discovered like mainstream new wave music, like the Thompson Twins and Howard Jones, and you know mm-hmm. Duran Duran, whatever. Like the kids liked at that time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I was like, oh, those people are different. You know, they're like do they're doing there's not mainstream, I guess, or they they look weird, and like inside, I kind of felt weird, and like I didn't belong to or whatever you know this is like the typical adolescent thing where you're like i i feel different from them all these other kids in my class so i didn't i i like decided that i liked new wave music and i started like dressing weird and like that was my thing in eighth grade i was like cutting up strawberry curtains and putting them on my shirt and like painting my hair colors and like doing weird stuff and i didn't really even know why i just like felt like I was different. <laughs> Just the typical thing when you're an adolescent, you're trying to assert your individuality or whatever. Then um, my brother started getting into guitar and I, I got him to show me some chords and stuff. And suddenly, like, I think all of that energy I was putting into like dressing weird, like went into like being creative on guitar. And then, um, through friends at school, I just, you know, started hearing about cool music and um, getting into some stuff. And then and then eventually hearing, like, oh, there are these punk bands of, like, kids that are our age that are playing. And then, like, this is probably in, like, ninth grade or tenth grade. I remember the first time I went to see a punk show, my friend Maria Salehi was, like, Hey, well, she had kind of like turned me on to some goth bands, actually, which were mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there was like this mini goth scene in DC. And like, I actually, I don't know if I had gone to any of these shows yet, but I remember that we used to see these kids walking around. They just like looked really cool. And then I found out they worked at this restaurant where all these other punk kids. Anyway, through all this stuff, I found out about punk shows and my friend Maria Salehi took me. And it was a show at the Chevy Chase Community Center here, which is like one of the all ages venues. And I walked in there and I was just like, oh, my God, this is so cool. There are all these like weird looking kids. And like I just suddenly felt like I belonged. And the show was then I I didn't really realize this until a couple of years ago. I was was like, what show was that? And there's this actually like somewhere online there's information about because Discord is so great about keeping information about like every single show that ever happened in DC at this time. So I looked oh, it's through like that. It's like the Library of Congress. Yeah, something it probably is there. Yeah. 
Um, oh, oh, right. Yeah, they are. Exactly. They are like the Library of Congress of Punk. But um, so it was, I remembered one band, which was Beefeater. But then I realized it was actually Rites of Spring that played. Oh, awesome. Also. So I know. So I feel like pretty like, I don't know, it's pretty cool. I just feel lucky as a kid. When I think back about the way my life could have gone, like in certain ways, I'm glad that I was around that scene. It gave me a real like um, positive thing to do as a teenager mm -hmm. that was like, didn't involve drinking and drugs and because it was all straight edge. And that was actually really healthy and great for, for me. I mean, and for a lot of kids, I think, but um, I, I don't know. Um, and I, I think it was an exciting time here. Um, it was, it was a kind of a strange phenomenon and, and very masculine. And in a way I didn't feel like I fit in cause I was a girl and girls weren't really a part of what was happening on stage for whatever reason. It was just like a thing in the eighties where there were these real like masculine bands and masculine music. But, but anyway, I, I feel, um, I feel, I guess I feel like it was an exciting thing to, to come upon as a, as a kid. And I'm glad that, I don't know. I'm glad I saw. So anyway, yeah. But after that show, I just went to see, I would always go, you know, I was always going to see, there's always so much, there's a bunch of bands and, you know, you'd find out about them through flyers, the shows through flyers. Well, most, almost every single show was a benefit. Just like, you know, I'm sure there, there's a, Absolutely. still punk rock going on now. It's nothing new, but it was different then because there was no internet. And I guess it was all like word of mouth. And, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it was, there was a, there was a big, you know, active scene here. And well, I want to take you back right now to the very beginning. Growing up down the street from the Mackays, it's almost become folklore around this show about the older Mackay sister, who apparently is the one who went away. And got the punk records oh. and brought them back and turned. Oh, really? Well, yeah, she was the oh, one. Oh, I don't know. Do you remember she her? She turned Ian on to stuff? Yeah. Yeah, she was... I mean, not, I don't know her well, um, but yeah. I do, I mean, I, my family lived, I actually live back in the same house now. <laughs> okay. My parents bought it in the early 60s, but we only lived here until I was like six and then moved away. Like literally like a half mile down the street. But yeah, I didn't really get to know them super well as a kid, although... Um, my brother probably knew Ian and Alec a little bit better. I was a, I was a small child, but, um, yeah. It seems like it was like a really, you know, as you say, like, uh, you know, aside from the fact that it was uber masculine, which is definitely undeniable. Um, yeah. it, it seems like it was a great place to grow up. Like you were saying, because there are very few youth movements that tell kids what you say is important and don't do drugs. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, both of those things, I think. I mean, I, I think what was really empowering about it, like you're saying, was it was just like these kids that were making something on their own, like completely in their own zone uh, and, put, you know, putting out records. And it was such a self uh, what's the word for it? It was just removed from like anything else in the world kind of mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and it was like super positive too. Like, um, I mean, not that that's not, that is super positive, uh, but I just mean in terms of like 
well, it just wasn't like there was, you know, yeah, straight edge. And just, I, I don't know. It was a very, it was a good thing to be around. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And you said that, yeah. you, you said that first show you went to was in the year 1985, approximately, right? I, yeah. Uh, I think it was 84 or okay. 85, something like that. Yeah. Either way, it's like, that's like a really interesting period from DC. Like once again, being someone that's only read about it from the outside, but it seems like that's like almost the transition point of where mm. one mm-hmm. scene ends and the other scene begins, like the fabled that's, revolution summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you gosh, you know, you know as much as I do about it. <laughs> but yeah, that I think it was like technically right after Revolution Summer that <laughs> that uh, that that show was. So yeah, maybe that is eighty five. I don't know, um, but yeah, I mean that's when I started going to shows. Was right. Right then, what, on the, yeah. Was it like because obviously, like after that, you know, there's there's definitely you know different sort of like show going experiences, or at least that's what's described. But like from someone that was there firsthand, what was that show like? Was it still like, you know, as you said, like uber macho? Was it still like super moshing heavy? Was it still like that way? Yeah, it- I, I mean, I don't. You're right. I said I don't think they're probably as soon as I said the moshing thing, I was like, oh shit, there probably wasn't moshing, but. <laughs> <laughs> Because I do remember that being like a real like a thing that you weren't you know you got yelled at if you if you moshed yeah. um, from the stage, <laughs> but um uh the I remember that there was all kinds of kids there and genders and I don't know types of people it seemed to me but I was a little kid but um I don't know I mean yeah there were I would say the I'm sure that the crowds at those shows were probably mostly guys, but I, I don't know. I mean, the, or there were girls there, but there just weren't that many girls playing in those bands, but mm-hmm. the culture was not, I mean, I'm sort of like try to figure out what that music was. It wasn't necessarily to me. It didn't seem like it was about people just making art. It was more like, there were like mini street gangs or something like it was like almost like sports sports team a combination of like a sports team and a street gang and like an a creative <laughs> group of people yeah. <laughs> you know um but uh yeah um so anyway yeah it- like uh, you know there's you know uh, you know uh, you're you start in a band that's a DC hardcore band uh, so there is a transition point that changes. When do you think that is when women are, are you know, able to kind of take the stage and, and take their position in the scene? Um, okay. Well, I, there was a band called Fire Party, mm-hmm. and I think there was a couple b- bands, at least with girls. But the one, the one when I was 14, 15, 16, and hanging out, um, going to shows, there was this band called Fire Party. Um and then um, I think what girls just didn't really, I don't know. There, there, there weren't a lot of bands with girls. So we, I don't know. It just didn't seem like a possibility. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think about that now because things are so different in, in rock scene. But um, I don't know. I, I met through going to shows. I met Christina Balat. Um, and we talked about starting a band. She, I am just also feel extremely lucky to have met her and played in a band with her because she's 
just the most creative, interesting, like basically genius musician that I know in a lot of ways. Um, and I learned so much from her um, and have so much respect for her to this day. She's just such a genius. Um, but anyway, I, I met her and she had heard that I played guitar because at this time I, I was, um, I was kind of into this, you know, hardcore scene or whatever and li listened to, punk a little bit but I also like my brother was like a classic rock guy and like a hippie kind of and then I, I ended up going to music high school at this um, um, school called Allington which is like an, a performing arts high school so I was like into the stuff I was doing there learning there like classical guitar and anyway I guess my friend had told Christine I played like um, electric guitar. I, I don't know. I was kind of into some weird stuff. Basically, you know, like I was like learning to play Joe Satriani uh, solos. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, well, I heard Ingrid Malmsteen is like pretty good, so I guess I'll try, I'll try to get some of those tapes. And so I don't know. I just like I didn't know how to put all this stuff together. It was like I was like, you know socially going out to these hardcore shows and then but then in school I was like had this teacher who's like super into R&B and like teaching trying to trying to teach me jazz I really sucked at it but or whatever and I was like learning classical guitar and then I like learning Joe Satriani <laughs> solos from my senior recital <laughs> and then my brother was into yeah and, and we did I feel like just before the internet it's just things like it's harder to figure out what the fuck is going on and especially it's not like my family was into music at all and I didn't know and like DC is such a singular place it's not like there's I, I don't know it's not you know there's not a ton of music here um so anyway I was confused kid and I was just like how does all this stuff I don't know I didn't I just didn't think of being in a, a, a punk band because I was into some other stuff and I just didn't think anybody would like it that I knew but anyway so Christina Blatt had heard I played guitar and she's like well why don't you come jam with me so we started jamming and um eventually started a band about a year or two later I guess um yeah so anyway was it autoclave right from the start um she let me see I think so I think she, Christina had started this band called hazmat um okay. With a couple other people, I think Melissa, the drummer who played in Autoclave, was was in Hazmat. So yeah, there was a couple of the same people in that band, and we, uh, I guess, changed. Someone, one person left, and I started playing with them, and then it became Autoclave. And um, I was. Oh, I know. I was going to say that I had actually enlisted this guy. We had been looking for a drummer, and I enlisted this like metal guy who just moved to Kansas. I mean, from Kansas to my high school, and he was like really into Rush, <laughs> which at the time it was just like the uh, Christina like was like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck, Mary?" So anyway, we went to play with this guy, and we were playing our songs, and he just like thought. It sucked so bad. And I remember he just, like, got up from his drum set and was like, um, okay, I'll play with you guys, but we have to do at least one Rush cover. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then um, 
we just like Christina's like, I think we should stop practicing. And then we left and she's like, that is just not going to work. <laughs> Did you try and learn that rush cover? I don't think we could have, but I, I mean, I, I was like, I, I don't know, Christina, I think it'd be kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you- she was like, this is, he's just so, he's such a nerd. <laughs> he's so not cool. So yeah, that didn't work out. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the thing. You yeah. could play like Lifeson, so you you got it set. It's like I don't know. I pro- I don't know. I was trying. I was trying. <laughs> but um, but anyway, yeah. So then um, then we, you know, what had happened? I think I left DC. I went to school in Boston, and she started Hazmat. And then when I came home, like over like you know Christmas break or something, we start. I I met up with those guys and. We started playing with Melissa and then just all like fell into place and it was awesome. And I was just like, whoa, this is, it was cool. It was a really um, like exciting thing playing with Christina because she just has a real strong vision and it's great. And it's like, I mean, it's just very singular and strange and, and awesome. And I mean, I know I feel like I learned a lot from her. And, um, and I still really like that. I guess it's getting, there's like, I think Ian's reissuing the autoclave record this year. So that's good. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel, I, I love that band. I'm glad I got to play with Christina. She's so great. Yeah. That band's awesome. Autoclave. And See, also, thanks. Slant, yeah. Slant six too is, is amazing as well. I know. She's just really, really, really good. Like her ideas are just gems. They're so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, autoplay was really her, um, songs. And then I would just write a lot of leads. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was really annoying probably. Now that I listen back, I'm like, God, I was just leading the whole time, but it was really her songs. Um, and they're just so good. Her songs are so good. I, I think that guitar, so, yeah. you're, you're, you're underselling the guitar stuff on it. Cause I think that's what makes it stand out so much too, is your guitar playing on it. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, but uh, I guess going back to uh, maybe even before Autoclave gets starting or before Hazmat gets started, I should say. Yeah. So what were some of the other bands that you kind of saw around that Rites of Spring, Beef Eater time that oh, you kind of yeah, yeah. were into? Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Swizz, um, Kingface, and Soulside. Um, I really loved Ignition. Mm-hmm. I saw them a lot and just other stuff like happy go wiki maybe i remember one show i was trying to think about this um i mean there was bands that would have like three shows and then they would be break up you know there's but um like yeah that's the kind of trying to think of what else um oh well i saw I didn't see the very first Fugazi show, but I saw the second one. <laughs> and then I <laughs> she was in the basement of St. Stephen's Church. And I remember going with my friend Lindsay, who actually an interesting thing that I remember about her is she, during this time period, had decided that her accessory that she was always going to carry with her was a pair of bongos. So like everywhere we went, <laughs> she carried this pair of bongos with her. That was like her thing. <laughs> but anyway, me and Lindsay, my bongo friend went to see the Tugazi show. And I, yeah, I guess like he wasn't in the band at that time. 
Um, but then I just loved it. And cause obviously it was fucking great. And then I literally think I saw every single Fugazi show until I went away to college. It, I mean, they played a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just so awesome. And, you know, it, it, or just like compelling and not, not just the music, but the music was obviously really good because they're, you know, the the best band at that time for sure. But, um, but also just like the whole culture of the show is so interesting. Um, just, there's just all these things that would happen at that show. like, you know, people standing on stage and like pogoing and I, I just, I don't know. It's just like nothing I've ever feel like I'll ever experience again. It was just a really, um, I don't know. I mean, also the music was super compelling. So I'm sure that was most of the reason why it was so great, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, it was cool. Well, it's like you mentioned like coming from DC and just how there wasn't a lot of music happening there, but like the stuff that was happening there, be it this stuff or the go-go stuff or like, it right. Just, it seems like it was all so vital. Like it just was so happening. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is because DC feels, and especially at that time, um, like pretty. God, I don't know. I mean, I think the internet has just changed so much; it's hard to even say. But as a kid here, you know, it's just DC's like a Northwest DC is very like uh, square and mm-hmm. cookie cutter and like everyone's parents are lawyers and like, you know, just this neighborhood that I grew up in, um, other parts of the city are, are totally different. And, um, you're just not exposed to the arts very much here, I guess, or at least there's not a lot of like wacky artsy people. Go, go. The same thing. It's interesting. I mean, that music, like, like you're saying, it's so vital and so like, unique and at the same time also very um like just local here Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it didn't make it out of the city it never you know there was it never i mean there's like a couple bands that meet you know like rare was it rare essence like um that had a hit trouble funk yeah 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 but yeah it's it's interesting it's like dc just Somehow, for some reason, is like a like kind of its own little universe in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, it's like we talked oh. about it. Like uh, I went there and did a live podcast a couple years ago, and it's just it's amazing. Oh, cool! Yeah. yeah, with Alec was there for it and stuff. And awesome! It, and it yeah, just, it just feels like there's such a continuum of of sort of like youth culture and like you know, and just like youth culture kind of like going for it. And like, why, why do you think it is in that city? Like, it just feels like it's so different than any other city. Is it like, because of the influence of the Mackay kind of like family, I guess, or Ian, or is it like, or is it like just the city, you know, parents having the means that allows kids to do it? What, like, do you have a theory? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I, I can't speak about, Hmm. I, you know, I don't know. I, I think that before the internet communities were just so local Mm -hmm. and you just were so influenced by what your friends were doing. And for me being a kid in Northwest DC, I just didn't see a lot of adults playing music or, Mm -hmm. you know, 
everybody I knew is like their parents work for the government and it's just like um I heard about I, I didn't know anybody that was into like metal or like I mean I heard about those kids that were but yeah I don't know just northwest DC is just like a weird little island it still kind of is mm. but um but I, you know I don't know I mean maybe it's because there's all the politics happening here and things feel like I, I mean I I don't know there's a lot of influences I would have to really sit down and think about it, what it is and I I'm not sure. I think it's interesting that Gogo and Hardcore had this kind of parallel, like life um, time, or what's it called? Like there were like the way they occurred and was sort of very parallel, and mm-hmm. that it was just like this really vibrant local scene um, that wasn't connected to like the mainstream and wasn't like people didn't get picked up by major labels and. I don't know. I guess it's just like an island here. I'd have to really think about about what it is. But I don't think there's anybody that like influenced it to be that way. It has to do with the culture of the city and probably just not being a hub for arts, but arts like happen here. I don't know. It's complicated. I'm not, I don't have the answers no, <laughs> by yeah. any means. Well, yeah. it's, it's funny you bring it because I never thought about that, but like the par- parallels between Go-Go and DC hardcore kind of coming around the same time as these parallel scenes. Uh, like yeah. you, know, you see that in New York with New York hardcore and, mm. and hip hop and rap, like at the same time uh, coming cool. from the same place. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, very fertile time for just like uh, American underground yeah. music. Yeah. Yeah. Made by like young kids. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking yeah. of well, another thing I've always found fascinating is that relationship between the stuff that was happening in Olympia and the stuff that was happening in DC. And I think, you know, that's, that's illustrated perfectly by that first autoclave seven inch with was put out by K records and by discord. How did that kind of like all the whole thing kind of come about? Like you were playing in this band. Oh yeah. Um, how, how did the band, Oh wait, so I'm sorry. So how did the, the band come about or the K records connection? Well, just the whole, the whole seven inch, I guess, like take me through that whole process. Like you're playing in this band at this point, like how'd you oh, go yeah. from like, you know, playing this band to being on, I imagine what would have been like a dream label to be on locally, but also have the K oh. thing in there too. I mean, I think, um, it was so the scene, like the scene of, of these kids, you know, c- c- playing bands and going to shows are so small that I, I mean, I think we, I remember we saw Ian at some party and Ian was like, Hey, we should talk. It's probably, it's time to put out a seven inch. Like it was like that kind of thing feeling. Um, just, um, so, and as far as the K, I'm not sure why it was a split with K other than I, I think I would have to ask Christina cause she would probably know, but um, there was a real connection between Olympia and DC at that time. And a lot of, um, you know, or whatever, there was like friends in common and um, like, I we, we toured with beat happening. Actually we did like four shows. Oh my gosh. The only tour we autoclave ever went on. We did a few shows opening Fugazi up the East Coast, and then we met up with Beat Happening and Nation of Ulysses and did, like, three or four more shows. 
Whoa. It was the first time I was on tour. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah. And I remember I invited Beat Happening to stay at my college um, how, group house in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember they were just like, this is the most disgusting house <laughs> we have ever seen. Because <laughs> I remember we just had like a giant trash can in the kitchen, like in the middle of the kitchen if we never emptied, it was just like a mountain of trash, and it was probably, it was probably like, I, I just am horrified to even think that I lived that way. <laughs> it was so disgusting. But I remember Calvin was like, he was pretty chill with it. He was like, "Yeah, I'll still stay here." But I think the other guys left. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, that was a that was cool. They were so good. Oh God, beat happening is so good. What was it like? What was it like going on tour opening for Fugazi at that time? Because I imagine, like, you know, that'd be a pretty, you know, I imagine a lot of people would be coming there to see them in particular. So, what was it like having yeah. to win over that audience? Oh, I didn't even think about that stuff at that time. It yeah. was more just like, we're playing a show, get on stage. Like, let's, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't really think about how to be a performer until I got into my 40s. <laughs> so I'm not <laughs> sure. I was just like the nerdy girl who's like standing in the corner playing guitar at that point. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I, – I, that was me, that just because I didn't think about that stuff. But um, opening for them, I don't know. Uh I I don't really remember to be yeah. honest. It was it felt exciting, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah, like to go from that, like and and Nation of Ulysses and Beat Happening, like you're playing with like three of you know the most storied live bands of the era. Right. Yeah, that's true. That oh man, yeah, U- Ulysses was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So I've watched a lot of video yeah. footage. Yeah, God, yeah, they were great. Actually, I was almost in a band because I, I here's another. Yeah, I like I used to was trying to start a band with James Canty and Steve Croner, and we were jamming in James's parents' house. And actually, Christina Blatt came and joined us for a practice. And then, then like we probably played for a couple months, and then. Steve Gamboa joined, and then I think he was like, hey, my friend Ian is going to come sing. And then Ian came to a practice, and then I was like, I don't think I fit in anymore. Uh (laughs) I remember that. I was like, I I don't know if a girl should be in this band. I just, like, didn't – I don't think they wanted me in the band, maybe. (laughs) So anyway, then they became Nation of Ulysses, and um, yeah, but that's okay. I don't think I would have fit in in that band anyway, but they were fucking incredible. I, it, I loved them like that, a lot. Yeah. Did that band you had before, uh, did that, did you guys record? No, no, uh-huh. we were just jamming around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be awesome to hear that stuff. I wonder what that sounds yeah. like. I don't know. As, I'm sure it was better after Ian joined. <laughs> <laughs> As you were like, kind of like, you know, more of a guitar player, like what were the, some of the bands that were speaking to that side of your kind of interest, like that were on, you know, the punk world or in the punk world, not necessarily even from DC, but like bands that you were seeing at that time where you're like, okay, this band can play. Um, 
not necessarily bands from DC. Or, like it could be DC bands um, too. I'm just wondering, like, who were the bands that, like, you know, you're going to school for music at well, the time. Like, who were the I know that's why I just didn't like. That's what I'm saying. Like, there was. It took me until I was like 25 to figure out what the hell was going on in my head with music because, mm-hmm. like, I knew I was like, um. Let me see. I knew that I was really interested or it was compelling to see this punk or hardcore, not punk, but hardcore music, I guess. I guess post-hardcore, whatever it was, but whatever Fugazi is. Yeah, yeah I don't know punk, what I think, ultimately. Okay, okay, you're right. Okay, so <laughs> that was interesting to me. But then, like I said, I was uh, taking me a lot of, you know – guitar seriously and music classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really, I was very confused about how they, they felt very separate to me and I didn't really think about even combining them. Um, but I mean, obviously Fugazi, I think Fugazi was the band that I was, um, you know, just really fucking good band. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to even like say why you just like feel, felt it when you saw them. And it's just like, Oh my God, this is like so powerful. Um, yeah. Um, but you know, honestly, like, well, a bunch of things happened. I, I didn't ever, I've, I guess I've never, I always felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't feel like I fit in with hardcore. I didn't feel like I fit in in music school because I was too much of a what I'm just not enough of a you know that kind of a brain. I didn't want to just study music. I just wanted to be creative. But then with the kids that I knew who were creative, I felt like a nerd because I was like a music school kid, and they were definitely not. You know, <laughs> like I remember, you know, like moving back or I was at BU and I was doing autoclave. Autoclave worked for me because I could just be like a nerd and play these guitar lines. And then Christina was super creative and writing these cool ass, like weird songs that were just so great. Um, But then, um, and then ultimately when I moved to Boston, that's when I, everything sort of was like more normal and like, it was like more of an indie rock scene up there. And I just felt like I could be myself a little bit more than here, where here it was like these cool punk kids. And I just didn't really, I don't know. I was just like, I guess I'm not, I didn't feel cool enough to fit into DC. And so I don't know what, that, it was just like an adolescent mindset that I had probably. But when I lived in Boston, I was like, well, I can play indie rock. And, you know, honestly, there were more girls playing indie rock. So I felt like I fit in, mm-hmm. you know, like power pop indie rock it was like not as, um, it wasn't such a male genre, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and DC was just, it was, it was punk here. It was like, you know, these bands were like, it was like a real, um, scene, but in Boston, I just felt like I could be myself a little bit more. And I met these indie rock kids and, you know, like, um, there's a lot of shitty music in Boston for sure. But, um, (laughs) and it was like (laughs) a lot of music that I really didn't like, but for whatever reason, I just like met people that weren't, weren't as punk. And I was like, I guess I fit in with them. I don't know. I don't, I just never felt like I fit in anywhere, I guess. But I always like super missed DC and always felt like it, it was a mistake to leave. And I was like, it's so cool down there. And I'm just like, I don't know. But anyway, um, and then when I got into indie rock, 
I felt like I could just like, um, uh, I don't know. Just felt, felt more like me, I guess. Yeah. So I was going to say, cause like Boston, you know, at that time just seems so radically different than DC as far as the music that was coming out of there and what the scenes were like. So I guess, you know, I was going to ask you about that actually, like what were the, the main kind of differences that you kind of noticed from being there, but I guess you kind of already went into that. Um, what were the main differences between DC and Boston? Well, not even necessarily um, the main difference. Like you don't have to like. I guess you kind of already went yeah. into it. There were more women playing, and, and it was more of an indie rock kind of town, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess what it is is that I met indie rockers through being in Boston, even though they didn't all live in Boston. Like, I, I guess. Um, whereas DC just was this real sort of very structured kind of like scene of like post hardcore stuff. And I, and it was like, you know, it was kind of, I have to pay to say it, but it was a little snotty here. Yeah. No, you're not the first to say that. It was like, yeah, I was just like, you know, I don't know if these people like me that much. I'm just, I'm just going somewhere else. But now that I look back on it, it's like, I don't know why I felt like that. I was just a kid. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so, um, yeah. And in Boston, there was like, you know, it was just a normal big town, you know, with like music colleges and like people playing shitty folk music on the street and like people playing reggae and people playing country music. And I, it just felt like so normal. And like, I also never lived in a town where there was like all this music going on. Mm-hmm. Um, like di- like different kinds of music and people studying music and um yeah and i i met um people just regular ass people in bands and you know that to me was like a big breakthrough i was like oh wow like there's all these shitty country bands that's so cool with dc there just wasn't <laughs> you know it was so small here and so like limited i guess it was like you're either like you know into go-go or you're into hardcore or, <laughs> yeah. or, or bluegrass. But like, there's just, I don't know. It just was a bigger town of kids probably. But um, yeah. And then I met like, um, there was, that's when like, like, you know, lo-fi indie rock stuff was happening. And like, I met um, this band. Well, I, I met, oh God, you know, I, let me see. I started playing in helium and I'm like, I lived with Claudia Gonson, who's, the, in the magnetic fields. So that was happening. And I was like, then there was this band called the Swirlies who was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And there was just a lot of cool, weird stuff happening. And it just wasn't, um, it, was, it just felt very freeing to me, I guess. And then like, I, I started dating, um, Ash Bowie, who was in Paul though, for just from meeting him at shows. And, um, Paul was probably my f- favorite band of all time to this day probably i mean he's just such a genius so that um getting to know ash was like very influential and sort of rambling at this point i don't even know what i'm saying no 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 it's believe this, this show, without rambling this show's got nothing yeah yeah okay okay um uh going back to though to uh boston and when you lived up there is there overlap between helium starting and autoclave ending yeah uh oh no it just uh let's see autoclave 
Um, I would say not too much time. I guess Autoclave broke up and then, um, yeah, I was kind of, I don't know, just like hanging out with some regular ass dudes, mm-hmm. <laughs> like who weren't even in college. They were just like a little bit older than me and were like, just like, right. I don't know. Just people that I would never have met in DC. Just like really normal people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, and, and, um, I was kind of playing in a band, um, with one of them and then it kind of turned into helium and, um, yeah, I don't know. It was pretty fast, I guess, uh, after Autoclave broke up. Before I ask you about helium stuff, just uh, one more final question with Autoclave. Uh, being on that Simple Machines comp, that's one of the coolest compilation series ever. Oh, yeah. That's the whole label is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. What um, like what an, like and it's you go through each of those comps and it's kind of like a who's who of a particular kind of like slice of indie alternative hardcore, whatever post hardcore kind of scene that was happening. But like, just like, it's like a, a real like murderer's row of great bands. Oh, wow. Well, first of all, that's, you know, you, I don't know how, you know, all this stuff. It's impressive to me. (laughs) I'm just a nerd. I'm just, you know, you learn, you learn how to play music. I'd learn how to spend all my money on it. Um, you know, <laughs> it's good to to have interests. You yeah. know, this, be outside like of a your own crippling brain. addiction at this point more than an interest. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, because you then you make great music, so it's all good. Well, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if the investments uh, equal the returns at this point because <laughs> yeah, a lot I of mean, records. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, but, you know, Simple Machines was really cool. They had this um, fanzine that explained, like, how to start a record label that I remember a lot of people used at that time. It was like a guidebook and, like, how to start a label. And I don't know. that You know, in, like, the early 90s, I guess this was definitely happening in the 80s, too. But (laughs) um, it became, like, a very popular thing to put out your own 7-inch and start your own label. And I I just remember people using that fanzine as a guidebook. Yeah, no, I think you're you're right. Like, it obviously was, you know, popular in the 80s. But at the same time, there was just, like, a a DIY pride that really Mm. took root in the 90s. Oh, absolutely. My God, yeah. That was what it was. That was the guiding, like, MO of the 90s, DIY. Yep. I guess parallel to that in the 90s, the DIY stuff that's happening is this kind of, like, other side of stuff that starts happening in, like, the post-Nirvana kind of world where everything kind of explodes for a minute. Did you notice a change happening? Like, you know, you're obviously playing in a band before Nirvana explodes, but, like, after that whole thing happened, like, how did – how yeah. in your eyes did things change? Um, yeah, well, um, I, I mean, I remember how excited everyone was about that Nevermind record and I just, everybody talking about it everywhere. Like, like my friend at a party being like, I, I can't go out without taking that record with me. Like that kind of attitude <laughs> yeah. or like you get to someone's house and be like, have you heard it? You know, it was just like such a big deal. And it, Obviously, it's a 
it just felt like so rev like different and like things were shit everything was shifting like I don't know. It was like the moon landing or something. It's really weird how important I feel like it to anyway to people in my age at that time that record was. But um, I yeah, definitely. I mean, that was like right when I started playing in a band for real. Well, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, like getting like on a record label and like playing shows and going on tour. So, um, yeah, I just definitely noticed that major labels wanted to sign any band that sounded like Nirvana um, or, or that major labels were interested in the underground. And before that, it wasn't even a thought, you know, you just didn't even know about what a major label was or care or um, I don't know. It was just like, it, it was like if as far away as the moon, but then after that, it was like, oh, you know, so-and-so's band is being quartered by Atlantic or something. And um, and then that was happening a lot. And then I definitely saw a bunch of friends' bands get signed to a major label and then get dropped after one record or fucking up their career. That happened a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and And also there was a lot of shitty music on the radio because they were just signing all these terrible bands <laughs> thinking they'd be the next Nirvana. <laughs> so yeah, definitely made like it, major labels interested in the underground, I guess. Yeah. I, on that song, on that Sonic youth tour that, you know, helium goes on a couple years later, that would have been, I guess, you know, kind of, I guess towards the end of, but still in the midst of this like signing frenzy, uh, I'm sure you guys were probably approached by major labels. Yeah. Uh, yep. I remember um, we were uh, right when we started, I guess. It was about, when was this? Uh, 93, I guess. And yeah, there was a couple of major labels that were had approached us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was... It's way too DC to even consider that. I was just like, ah, ha, ha. I thought it was like hilarious. And much to the chagrin of my bandmate, who was like trying to make some of these arrangements, who was like a, just a normal, normal dude from Boston. Yeah. You know, not a punker. He, he was like, maybe like, you know, just didn't come from the same background as me, yeah, yeah. but I was just like such a snot. And <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I just thought it was hilarious. And like, there's no way in hell that would ever happen. And it's good. We didn't because it probably would have been really bad if we signed with the major label. Yeah. That's awesome. I was going to say, did, did you have that? <clears throat> Sorry. I was going to say, did you have that little Ian Mackay on your shoulder that we all have at different times? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it was not. I mean, I was fully uh, DC hardcore mindset. Yeah, completely. Like, yeah. I mean, to this day, I I don't know. It was really, it's very, it very much informed how I learned about being in a band, one hundred percent. So, there's good things, great things about that, and also maybe things that I. I don't know. I, I don't know how if it fucked me up. I have to think about that. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
It definitely is how I learned how to be in a band for sure from from that whole scene. Yeah, no, definitely. It's something that you like. I don't know, and, and you know, I wasn't even in that scene, but I mean, just DIY hardcore in general ends up becoming yeah. this like albatross that you carry with you for your whole yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of how it's limited me, but I don't know. I mean, mostly, I think it's been really good. Yeah, <laughs> it's the albatross that keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I got a lot out of being around the, that whole thing. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I still, I mean, I have so much respect for Ian. And um, so, yeah, it's it's a good thing. It seems to me that Boston would have been, though, a scene where, you know, like a lot more bands were going for it. You know, there doesn't seem to be as much DIY yeah. infrastructure. Right. That was what was it. Part of what was interesting to me, I guess. Um and different. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's, um, huh. Yeah, there was definitely, which I actually hated that though. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, I, I remember, um, being pretty grossed out at like, uh, certain elements of that mindset when they met people that were like, you know, getting signed to major labels and stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I, it, it, I, again, like, I think I was just, I've always just sort of, you know, I'm just like, everyone is just, you just go along and try to figure out what the hell you're doing with your life. I was like, oh, there are these people over here and then there are these people over here. Like, what am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how do I do it? I mean, how do I be happy? I don't know. I've always tried, I've been trying to figure out how to, you know, how to make it all work for my whole life. I don't know how to do, do it. I'm just right try to do too. what you can do. Yeah. Yep. Just do what you can and hope <laughs> for the best. And, and yeah, just try to make it work out for yourself. To try to, you know, to do it, do your best. That's what we can all do. Yeah. So, so once helium kind of gets going, how did you? I guess you put up the first two seven inches, and then how did the matador kind of friendship kind of start? Uh, we sent them a tape, I think, and yeah. That's how, yeah. I I don't know. We'd send them our we'd send them a cassette <laughs> in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. didn't know them for, though from Boston or anything. There was no like kind of Gerard. I yeah. did grow up in Boston, but yeah, no, he he wasn't there. He'd already gone. I I was there from eighty eight till oh, actually for forever. But I moved there in eighty eight. Um, so I don't know if he was there then. But I I got out of BU in nineteen ninety two, and I don't think he was there anymore no, i think he was yeah. gone by then yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it so you know were they familiar with you because of the two eps prior to that or was it just kind of like they checked out a cold demo tape like it seems like i think that um i think that okay i, I don't know i think that maybe they'd heard of autoclave and we were playing a bunch of shows we were going down to new york brian our bass player knew someone at cbs so we were like playing shows at cbgb's mm-hmm. and um, so I think we had invited Chris or Gerard to one of those shows. I think we had actually handled a show opening for Liz Fair at CBGB, maybe. Okay. <laughs> Which is, yeah, and I think a lot um, of Gerard, Yeah, a lot of mushing there. <laughs> yeah. And, 
I had to just like tell everyone, please, like, this is how you dance. You don't mosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stop it. Um, stop. We're going to stop, stop the set stop, again. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I do remember at that show, I broke a guitar string and I, um, I got some guy. I, this, I was being like a real, like, I don't care about labels. I think I knew Gerard was there, but I was just like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I broke a guitar string. Got off stage, asked somebody from the audience to help me fix it. Like, and then it took like 15 minutes in the middle of the set. <laughs> but Gerard, I guess, didn't hate the show because then they ended up putting our record out later. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I don't, I think we'd sent him a cassette and like had played some shows which they'd seen probably. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What was it like, kind of like once you put out the record? Was there, was that the the Sonic Youth tour? Was that, what was the first tour you guys went on as a band beyond those New York kind of Uh, Helium? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, we did a bunch of East Coast stuff. Actually, the first one that I remember, and this might not have been, you know, we did a bunch of shows. Like, I think we'd even gone to England for a little bit and did a bunch of like East Coast. Yeah, like you're saying, like four or five day trips or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then we put out this EP with Matador. And the first tour that I remember was opening for Pavement, which was awesome because mm-hmm. uh, they were my favorite band. And that was really exciting. And that was like a week, maybe down to the south. And then we did that. And then, then we recorded a record after that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't think we did any big tours on that first EP. This small, that small one. What kind of was the scene you guys were playing in prior to the first record coming out? Like what were kind of some of the other bands you were finding yourselves playing with locally? Like it was, Oh, uh, in Boston. Um, um, oh gosh. I mean, my, I think my favorite band from that era or like I think maybe I already said the swirlies and magnetic fields and um there's this band called spore I mean I don't know Juliana Halffield was around (laughs) um belly was around although I don't I didn't really know those guys Mm -hmm. um but um there Boston wasn't I mean there was a music scene but it wasn't like here which was here this is like like I mean, it was like its own universe. And I, I always was like, God, I would really miss it down in DC because it was really exciting. But I, I guess I just never fully felt like I fit in a weird way. Um, but I, I don't know. Also, I was like, you know, in my early 20s, I was like, I don't want to live where I grew up. I want to live somewhere new. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, we just kind of became friends with other indie rock bands. And um, I was a huge Polvo fan. And... Uh, my friend Joan Wasser was in this band called the Dam Builders. I was really good friends with those guys. And yeah. It just seems like you, you guys, Helium just has such a unique sound. I just always wondered like where, you know, it kind of fit in, like where the, where the audience was like, obviously, you know, playing with Sonic Youth makes complete sense and like playing with Pavement makes complete sense. But early on where mm-hmm. you're kind of like having to play with bands that don't necessarily fit together. Oh, um, hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think we sounded like 
Hmm. I'm not sure. I, <laughs> I don't know. You I don't know. Like, that's what I, I was just, I didn't know where we fit in either, but um, I guess we probably made enough sense that I, I don't know. I, yeah. Like it just seems uh, like, you know, Boston's like such more of a rocky town. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was like letters to Cleo happening. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, 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 nothing against them, but I, yeah, I didn't, I really didn't like that style of music. Um, I was so jaded in the nineties, mm-hmm. probably from growing up here. And also cause people are just jaded. I mean, I don't know something about being in your twenties. You just feel like you've got it all figured out and, I don't know. There was just so much music I hated. Yeah. Now I'm just completely like I don't, I don't care about me. Like yeah. everything's fine with me. Yeah. I don't like hate hate music that much anymore. <laughs> but in my twenties, I was just like, this music sucks. Like I can't believe. I mean, but there, you know, there was some really bad music in the nineties. <laughs> there really was. So, yeah. There really was. I mean. There was also really great stuff, but I mean, there's the radio rock was just like, it was pretty bad. We got to be honest about that. But, um, uh, but I also feel like the one I do sort of, the the, the cool thing about the nineties or the pre-internet, like the end, you know, before the internet, um, was that people really did still try to make up their own music then. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, even if you were doing it badly, sometimes that's, that's cool. That's what, you know, people think of new styles because you can't, I mean, now that we have the internet, like it's so easy for kids to just learn uh, exactly how to imitate the Rolling Stones, like down to like ever, like where are Keith Richards hands on the neck and like, what kind of amp is he using? And, And then you have, you know, these bands that sound exactly like whatever like the golden age of rock and roll and like yeah and then in the 90s it's just you had to be fucking so resourceful so much more resourceful to learn how to be in a band to write you know to learn how to go on tour to put out a i don't know it just took a lot more of i I do sound like i'm an old person which i guess i am but (laughs) there's something about that resourcefulness that made you know, you had to make it up, basically. Um, yeah. Well, there's a barrier. But, uh, there's a barrier of entry that was like you yeah. had to like do the digging if you wanted to be in a band right. that's that had a '50s kind of vibe to it. You had to like yeah. watch videotapes. Yeah, you had to go right. Exactly. Yeah, it took a lot more work and like, um, but people weren't as maybe you just didn't. Um, I don't know. You put, I feel like bands put more energy into just making, I mean, if you like, it was more like, well, I want this to be influenced by the fifties music. Then you have to imagine the fifties music in your head and then try to imitate what you hear yeah. in your head. Yeah. And that just makes things sound a little bit unique. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I don't know, it's just different, but anyway, I, I, that's a real tangent. I was going on about why things are different then, but Things were just more isolated before the internet, and that was good and bad. I guess it's good things and bad things about it. I think the the other thing that's different is that now you have to be a band, and this goes for you know both of ourselves as well. But twenty four seven, like it's like your band is you know your your life. Whereas before, it seems like it would be something that existed when you were mm. on tour and when you were it's true doing a record. You're so right. Yeah. 
I know it's, that's definitely different. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, you can't ever stop doing it. I mean, you're on tour and you're like answering emails on your phone. And it used to be that you got in the van and you just like read a fanzine until, (laughs) until you could get to the pay phone so you could call the club to find out the directions that you'd write down (laughs) on a piece of paper. (laughs) It's like so so much slower and yeah. so much more time in your brain to to think mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so i don't know i feel like my my dad right now <laughs> <laughs> it's like what's wrong with these kids <laughs> but yeah it's definitely we we've lived we've definitely have been on both sides of a, like a huge shift in the way we get information and learn about things and do things for sure yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely, it feels like it's, um, I don't know, it feels like the resourcefulness is still necessary to try and, you know, find your yeah. way in this world, but uh-huh. the way you apply it's changed. Yeah, that's so true. You're right. Um, yeah, you just have to use a different part of your brain, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, give, I give up. Well. Going back to the other part of the brain then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How did things change for Helium once you did have an LP out there? Oh, uh, um, how did it change, like, in terms of, like, people coming to the shows or? Well, like, what, like by that point, did it feel like this is, this is a full-time job for me? Oh, no. Um, you know... I guess, well, okay. I guess I went through phases of it being a full time job, but I I had shitty job. I had shitty jobs the whole time I was in helium. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I I I guess we could have chosen to not do that and to tour more, but mm-hmm. um, there was one guy. Well, Ash um, was also in Polvo, so. I guess the p- part of partially we didn't tour much because he was, but I don't want to say that was the reason. We just didn't like touring, and yeah, we didn't I can tour that much. Yeah, uh, yeah, so can I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of irresponsible, I guess. Um, but we made all. I mean, this is also part of my like DC hardcore upbringing. Is I made every single decision in my twenties based on, is it going to be good for my creativity? And none of it was based on, is it going to sell records? <laughs> so, <laughs> Like zero, like zero, literally zero decisions were made on, is it going to sell records? So, so as a result, we didn't sell that many records and we didn't tour that much. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. That's, that was my choice, I guess. And, uh, it's fun. It's it's cool, <laughs> um, but I definitely spent a lot of time working shitty jobs, like a number of them throughout my twenties. I was like, I was a temp a lot, and I worked in hospitals a lot, and as a secretary and a gardener, and I worked in a toy factory, and I worked in a record warehouse. And I think that about covers it, but most of it was secretarial stuff, filing and all kinds of shitty jobs, one after the next. Then I would leave and go on tour, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the toy factory making? Oh, uh, 
this artist and he made public art, but he also made these weird rulers <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and other toys that all had like this 3d kind of like imagery inside of them. Very and, cool. Yeah, it was cool. Except I, I was a terrible, I was worked in the office and like, I only had the job for a month and like, by the end of it, they were just figuring out that I sucked really bad at the job and I had gotten like all these packages lost. And I think they were just about to fire me and then I quit. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like just when they're about to have the talk, like uh, this girl that works in the office is like fucking up so bad. <laughs> I was like, ah, I'm out of here, guys. <laughs> so anyway. Perfect timing. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I guess like I. Uh, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. We didn't even get to X hexes. We didn't get to any. Oh, that's okay. But yeah. will you come back at some point for a part two? Oh, sure. Yes. Because this Thanks has been for having me. Well, this has been an yeah. um, amazing, amazing thrill for me because you are uh, one of like a huge, huge influence. Seeing you up on that stage, oh, you geez, know, was thanks. the coolest. So to get to talk to you all these years later has been the coolest again. Oh, you're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary, for coming on the show, and thank you to Mark, and thank you, of course, to Tristan, and and yeah, Mary will be back for a part two, because there's a lot more to discuss. She's got a new band with Alec Mackay, you know, how awesome is that? So, there you go, from from neighbors to bandmates, all those years later, you gotta love DC, you gotta love DC, and that is why, next week on the show, we're gonna keep it DC, we're gonna keep it DC with someone that I never thought I would be able to keep it so DC with. Next week on the show, from the legends, Royal Trucks, and RTX, Jennifer Harama is on the show. Now, this is someone that I have wanted to meet and talk to for a long time. I'm a big fan of this band, and this goes to a lot of places that I never thought it would go. We talk a lot about all... DC stuff. And it's, it's funny because it goes to show you that this is the thesis of this show is that in these little rooms that had no more than, you know, a hundred to a couple hundred people max, there were just such energies that just so many creative people came out of these spaces. And so here we are talking about these shows where you have uh, Mary Timoney coming out of them. And then a few years later, Jennifer's at the same kind of spaces and the seeing some of the same bands. And we'll talk about it all next week. It's a slightly different era of DC, but we keep it DC enough. And so there you go. That is next week on the show. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember also next week, we will, we will, God damn it, be launching this Patreon. Uh, thank you to Cam Lindsay again for, you know, tipping me off this way back when. And, uh, and that's it. All right. Uh, I will be back next week. Sign your organ donor cards. Go out there and make your own culture. And that's it. Stay safe. Love you. Bye. <laughs>